Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Jesus, we come this morning before the throne of grace that you tell us in Hebrews to approach with confidence. We come with confidence this morning before the throne of grace. You've called us, your people, to live at this time. To have an impact into the world at this time. With everything that's going on, you've called us to live at this time. With your life and your spirit inside of us. I pray, lead us. Teach us this morning in ways, Spirit of God, I could never. I pray, let your word minister to our hearts and do what only you can do. Get to places where only you can get to. Even now, some emotions might be rising up in people's hearts. Some are struggling with thoughts. Some are, others are struggling with concepts. Others have, have, are being undone as they realize that, that God's stories are possible. So we trust you this morning, Spirit of God. Have your way, I pray. Amen. Amen. So we are on the series, and if you're visiting us or you're listening to this recording for the first time, we are three or four weeks into a sexuality series called Sex on Sundays. I know the name has caught some people off guard. It was just, I blame Gabriel, but um, that's the easiest way to do it. But, but we've had three sessions where we looked at, the first week we looked at that awkward conversation where the church gets a little bit awkward. It's like that sit-down first conversation with your, one of your kids, and you're talking about sexuality. It's awkward. I'd rather preach to thousands than have that conversation with my own child for some reason. And yet the church are like that. We're really awkward around subjects like sexuality. And yet the world aren't awkward. They are having the conversations. They are having many conversations with very few guiding lights to those conversations. And there's a responsibility, I believe, on every church of every generation to be having the conversations that can impact their generation. That can bring change, that can bring life, and bring freedom, and reveal the grace and the glory of God in our time. And then secondly, Quinton spoke about mind games, and how actually sexuality is not start, doesn't start with a physiological thing. It doesn't start below the belt. It starts in our thinking. And as we align our thinking to God's word, God brings order, he brings clarity to our thinking, and he leads, and he guides, and he governs, and he guards our sexuality. My sexuality is there to guide, govern, and guard my relationship with God is there to guide, govern, and guard my sexuality. It's what its design was from the beginning, but it's an appetite that starts in our mind. And if you feed that appetite, like Feed Me Seymour, if you probably have to be around 35 to 40 to know what movie that was, you won't get it on HDMI. And, um, but, but if you watch that movie, it's something that keeps growing. It won't ever shrink back. You have to allow the Word of God to get in there. And then last week, Mr. Phillips came and spoke about relationship goals and how God has called us and He's designed for sexual relations to only be within marriage. We are making a statement there. It's not popular. How can you say that? It's so small. What about my desires? Oh, but I love Him and I've got all these desires. And all I can tell you is there's only one part to truth. There's only one part to life. It is Jesus, it is His Word, and it is His ways. And I had the privilege of going away for two nights with my little clan this week. And we went up the, what is that, the east coast towards Amarnas. And so I decided to take my three boys for a hike. We're not big hikers, not going to lie. You're not looking at the world's most experienced hiker. We bought a bottle of water from the corner cafe and we hiked. Worst thing you could ever do. Five-year-old, seven-year-old, nine-year-old. And then I made an even worse decision. 
as you stood away from the mountain, you could clearly see the roots to hike. They're there. There's the contour line. There's the route going up. There's the route going. You could see them because they were clear and obvious. But when we drove closer and we got up close to the mountain, they weren't so clear and obvious anymore. And I made a bold decision. I said, okay, Judah, because he's pushing the boundaries. He's nine years old. He's the oldest. I said, you lead us. But choose a good path. Because from far, you could see a good path going up. But he's impatient. He wants to get to the top. He, he wants that place where the view is so good. Obviously, where we're probably going to see the whales from up there. So we're walking, and he, he sees half a path. He says, oh, Dad, this is us. No, boy, wait for a path, a good path. Oh, Dad, this is, no, boy. He says, Dad, this, this, this must be a path. This is a path. I'm like, I can see it's not the path. But now is a moment to learn a lesson, a costly lesson. We started to clamber through this regrown vegetation that a year or two ago burnt down. So it's all fresh vegetation. It's nice and prickly. And the five-year-old starts moaning first. But Judah is determined this is the path. And then the seven-year-old starts moaning until the 39-year-old starts moaning because his legs are cut to shreds and there's blood pouring out my shins because obviously no one's got lungs on. And I said, Judah, this is not the path. We're going back down through all of that we've just walked through to get to the path so we can keep walking along to find the path that we saw from afar. And so we walked back down, which was even harder. I've got the five-year-old on my back. I'm clambering down. And we get down to the path. We walked about 200 meters further along to find a path this wide with little terrace steps all the way up, cleared of any thorns or bushes or everything that took us all the way to the contour path that led us all the way along the mountain and then we found another path all the way down. What's important? There's a good path. In sexuality, there is a good path. We struggle with the timing of God sometimes. We struggle with, when will I get to that place? We struggle with, there's so much promise on the other side of this path. It, it looks like a path that's slightly open. I'm going to bash my way through it. Here's the thing, you'll probably get somewhere that looks like the top, but you're going to get the exasperated, bleeding, broken, and not really enjoying the view because there's so much damage done already. God says, will you trust the path? See, that there's a challenge, I believe, in that even in the church, I believe in marriage and I love marriage and I believe marriage is the only design for God's expression of sexuality in this world. I really, really do. Mark, that's so narrow-minded. No, I really believe it. I, I, I believe it with everything inside of me. But there's also another challenge that we've made an idolatry of sexual expression of marriage, I believe, in the church as well. As we've preached that, with strength and conviction, there's an idolatry that you have to experience and the epitome of truly living and the epitome of reaching the top in sexuality is this expression of sex, of moments on earth. Where actually, when we look to Jesus, single, Paul, single, heaven, no sexuality, no marriage. And we've made what's not happening in heaven, heaven on earth. And we've given that promise to people and we wonder why they're running up the wrong paths, getting cut all over the place, having to deal with the scarring and undoing of all of that so they can find life. God's calling us to trust the path. He's calling us to trust him with the steps. I, I remember having a conversation with Ryan years ago 
Actually, Candace had the conversation with him and came back to me speaking about this brother of hers who for years had been walking in a homosexual relationship. Speaking to her about it, actually, intimacy with Jesus is enough. Very profound. Choosing a celibate life. You know, Jesus does speak on these issues. Matthew 19, he's addressing the issue of divorce, and he presents, he, he quotes Genesis chapter 1, and he says, actually, male and, he made them male and female, and they put them, and he says, they're going to cleave and become one. And then he carries on further down, and he says, actually, outside of that, it says, some were born eunuchs, some became eunuchs, and some chose, chose a lifestyle of a eunuch, which is celibacy. And I'm not saying it's the easiest road. And I'm standing here at someone who got married at 25 years old. So I'm not saying I've walked that road. But there is a Savior who is enough. And there is a Savior who is saying, if you'll just trust me. Such a profound statement. We trust Him with 95%. And I'm not just talking about people struggling in areas of sexuality. I'm talking about every believer. There's this line to which we will trust. But God says, will you trust me? Because the parts I have for you are good. They are powerful. They will lead to life. They will save a whole bunch of pain. Here's the thing about the path that we walked up. It took a lot of work to get up those stairs. There was still sweat. There was still moaning. But there weren't the cuts we got when we walked through the bushes. There was still sweat. There was still effort. There was, we were still tired afterwards. But we got to the top and enjoyed the view with my three boys because there was a path that led us to the right place. And as we do this series, I, I, I want to call us, God is calling us on some of these truths. We made statements like, well, we live in a world that says, be loose with your sexuality and stingy with your money. Read the Cosmo, read the men's health and look for it. You'll find it in all of it. And the Bible says, be generous with your money and be stingy with your sexuality. Everything that the world is preaching is different to Jesus. You've got to know that. Why are we speaking to this? Because Isaiah 4 says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Are destroyed. They are cut up. My people. The church. Not everyone wants to hear this stuff. Oh, Mark, that's heavy. No, it's truth. And sometimes truth is heavy, but I'm telling you, there's no greater love than truth spoken. And you navigate these roads, and it's tricky. But I want to tell you, when we speak about sex, we have to speak about Jesus, who is described in John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, the one and only who, from, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That word full is translated covered over, complete. Jesus is completely truth and completely grace all at the same time. We sometimes get stuck in the middle. We feel like there's a tension. We've got to play out. There is no tension. There's just Jesus. He's enough. He covers over. He is powerful in every way. And as we navigate these paths, God's saying, actually, you've got to encounter a world that is broken. We sing songs about calling people. Every knee will bow. Not every knee of the church will bow. God is calling every knee that he's called to worship him, to bow. And some of them are out there right now. And they're broken and they're bruised. And they're on the beaches of our city and they, they, they're taking drugs on a Sunday morning. And they're waking up in rooms of, that they don't recognize. And God's calling them to worship Him. You see, but the challenge is there are these new normals in our world. New normals. 
And our kids, I've got a five, seven, and nine-year-old boy. They're growing up in a world where every movie they watch, there are homosexual relationships. And sometimes the heroes, those are the celebrities of the show. There is a celebration of everything. Queen Latifah um, gets up and, and, play, and, and, and music gets played where it's a celebration of the same love. They're also growing up in a world where the church is confused. The Bible's not confused, don't get me wrong. The Bible's not confused. The church is confused. And you've got these religious, incredibly religious movements of church that have been around in our nation for years, but that are incredibly liberal. And the two don't align, and they're leading to a confused picture to the world who are looking for a true north. They're looking for a savior. They're looking for Jesus, and they can't see him because the church is confused. Thrown to that pot and in that mix, love equals tolerance. Love equals tolerance in our world. In our world, to love you is for me just to get over whatever you bring, whatever you come in, however you do that. Uh, my job is just to get over it. And when I get over it, that's me loving you. And you know what that translates to? It translates to parents who get over telling their kids what to do because they're five-year-olds and they must make their own decision. No, they're five years old. Your job is to raise them. Your job is to lead them. Your job is to show a light that brings them to life to say, this is not the path. And there will be moments you're going to have to let them slip and fall, but control the impact of that and call them back to the way. Tolerance is not love. Not according to Jesus. And we're going to present some of those things, and I want to get to some of that thing. Because homosexuality has become the exclamation mark of sexuality that in a world, let me get that again, say that again. In a world of sexual hyperbole, homosexuality has become the exclamation mark. And the conversation has changed. The conversation now is, is it really that bad, Mark, to be gay? Is it really? I mean, surely a loving God couldn't oppose people who love him and just love people. Surely it's surely a loving God would allow people to love or it's just my brokenness. And as long as I'm being vulnerable with my brokenness, that's okay. And on the other side of logic and on the other side of sitting back, there's something in me that wants to go, yes. But then I come to the word of God and I come to who Jesus says he is. And what the Bible says about homosexuality and this community, the LGBTQAI community. I'm not joking. It's, it's growing. In our nation right now, there are something like 60 or 70 recognized genders or, or, or sexual orientations, not genders, sexual orientations. And it's a radical, radical thing. And we have to get back to the path. Why? So it deals with our hearts, pulls us into the mission of God. Because here's why we talk about this stuff. Because if you're here and you're saved, I'm not speaking so that you walk in, the, or you're here and you, you say, I'm, I'm not homosexual. Good, wonderful. But we're all got high levels of brokenness. We all need the grace of Jesus. And we're all called to be a part of the mission of God, impacting a world that is being ripped apart by chaos. By people who are preaching the challenges, the, world, the church that's got their position and feel like the whole, they are too quiet. All the affirming voices in regards to homosexuality are loud. They are writing the papers. They are getting master's and doctorate degrees at universities. They are finding their voice. Their voice is way bigger than their size. And God's saying, actually, it's time for the church to have a voice. I remember the first time I preached into this area of homosexuality, I could barely find a preach that was helpful. On the internet, Google. 
I, I could barely find a preach. There just no one. This was about eight years ago. At that stage, hardly anyone had preached on it. It was too sensitive an era. No one really knew what to say. And let's be honest, I'm not sure I want every one of my pastor mates to speak about it because we get awkward about this stuff. We can't get awkward. We've got to find courage, find love, and find a love that is Jesus for people. And so I want to present three things today clearly to give you something of a grid. You see, we lose the grid when we get up close. What do I mean? Well, when I'm standing back looking at a mountain, I can clearly see the paths. But when I get up close, it becomes overwhelming. And I want to give you three points. Number one, what does the Bible say? Number two, what are the arguments affirming homosexuality or arguing for homosexuality? And what is, number three, what is our response? Is that okay? I want to help us in our response. Number one, and I won't have time to spend hours on this, but number one, the Old Testament clearly prohibits it. And even the affirming theologians, when I say affirming, our position as a church, just so you know, but it's not something we brandish around is we are welcoming but not affirming. What does that mean? We've said, made statements that we want to be a community where people can belong before they believe. I love the fact that a pastor sat with my brother-in-law and loved him, even though my brother-in-law came there to convince him otherwise. We've got to learn from people. We've got to see Jesus in the journey. We've got to say, Jesus, help us. And when I'm saying affirming, I'm talking about those who choose within the church world to receive homosexuality as part of an acceptable practice within Christianity. If you don't know, that is, there's a part of the church. In our own city, there are multiple churches who would communicate that and celebrate that. And Genesis 1 starts like this. We've read it so many times, but you've got to keep coming back to Genesis 1. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in numbers. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea in the, in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. There's this creation design. It's all good. It's perfect. Genesis 1, things are still perfect. And God says there's order. He creates night and day. He creates land and sea. He creates water, earth, and sky. He puts all these things in place. And then he puts another distinction. He says male and female. He created them in, in his image. And in the creation story, there seems to be this complementary design of God, male and female, perfect in every way, designed by God for his mission and his mandate. See, we get confused because soon after there's Genesis 3 and the fall happens and chaos enters and brokenness enters and sin enters. And here's what happens. Everything begins to break, including sexuality, everything. It wasn't just sexually. No, everything begins to break because sin enters the story. And there's everything that sin was designed for, which was pleasure and procreation and life and intimacy, all this stuff, all that starts to become warped. And God says, no, I want to restore what I put in place. I'm coming back to the garden. When heaven touches earth, it is more a reflection of Genesis 1 than what happened in Genesis 3. Are you Okay. I want to tell you that homosexuality has no special corner on the market of brokenness. Sometimes the church likes to think that it's convenient for us. There's not this, well, there's brokenness, and then there's homosexuality. No. No, this is brokenness. Where the enemy has caused chaos, and within that, there's sexuality. And sexuality is 
different. We've spoken about that. It says the only sin we sin against your own body, socks. It says, but within that, there's a wide spectrum. So in the Old Testament, it's prohibited. Leviticus 18, where there's a whole bunch of laws, and you really got to go read them. Things like, don't sleep with your mother-in-law. That's in there. And, and <laughs> just thought I'd mention that because there's a whole bunch. It's not just this one. And verse 20 says, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. It's in there, and there's multiple scriptures that carry on. And I want to say that same picture, it's then the argument says, but Jesus breaks and Jesus dies, Jesus lies. And that makes so much sense to my logic, but it's not God's design. New Testament speaks as well into that stuff. And Colossians 3, put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, which is a word, porneia, and it's a, it's a word that covers a breadth of a whole bunch of things. When Paul used sexual immorality, is including fornication, adultery, homosexuality, lesbianism, bestiality, and incest, and a whole bunch of other stuff that the world is coming up with. It's all in there. Maybe Paul knew something we didn't, that there is no bottom to this pit. So he uses the word porneia, where we get our word pornography from, to cover a broad spectrum called sexual immorality, which was the best English word they'd used to describe it. And, and the enemy gets good at marching, taking something that God gave as a good gift and turning it into chaos. See, a good gift sexuality has the potential to cause chaos. And the good gift is like a truck driving down a highway. It's a good thing. In its purpose, in its lane, it's awesome. But a truck driving in a suburb at 150 k's an hour causes chaos. You just have to watch the stop street for a moment or two to see. And God's saying he wants our sexuality to be on his path. And what is our connection? Well, what are we supposed to have our connection? Ephesians 5, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. It's a radical statement, guys. We have to hear that. It's a radical statement. Why does Gabe speak strongly into cohabitation as the new normal, but actually it's not God's design? Well, it's, it's more than a hint. None of your unsaved mates believe that, well, we're just roommates. They don't believe that. And it's more than a hint. And God says, I've got so much more for you. There's an intimacy and there's a promise on the other 5% of trusting me. There's an intimacy and a promise. Romans 1, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and who are flamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with one another and received in themselves the due penalty of their error. And 1 Corinthians 9 speaks about, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither sexually immoral or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor, nor swindlers. See, it's quite a long list. It's not just a little list. It's a long list. Will inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, Mark, you can't say that. I'm not saying it. The Bible did. And people in the church will shout me down for reading those scriptures aloud and using them as the word of God. And there's this concept, well, I'm a red-letter Christian. Have you heard that before? It's this new popular craze, I'm a red-letter Christian. Meaning I only read the red letters, I only read what Jesus says, and I throw everything else away. I only like that part. Well, what did Jesus say? Jesus, in Matthew 19, and we read the scripture many times, he quotes Genesis chapter 1, and he says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, 
and the two will become one flesh. That united is the word cleave. It's the proskulao. I'm not a Greek scholar. Proskulao. I use it on Wednesdays. And it means to come together in intimacy, to come together in every way that only that design can come together. It's sexually, it's physically, it's emotionally, it's every, there's a design, there's a proskulao to come together that was in God's design at the beginning. That Jesus, after he comes on Matthew 19, he quotes this, says, that's my design. I'm endorsing that, I'm challenging that, and actually anything outside of that is called no sexual activity. I wish I could tell you there were other paths. I wish I was here knowing that I'm preaching to some young people. So I just want to experience, surely I can't just step into marriage and have one sexual pastor for the rest of my life and that be fulfilling because I read a Cosmo that said you need at least six to be really good at it. Well, go find out who wrote that Cosmo article because I can tell you who wrote this one. He's been around a long time. He stood and he keeps standing. He's seated on a throne and there is life and freedom for it in him. See, what are the main arguments for homosexuality? And I need to move relatively quickly. Well, number one, it's the biggest one, and it's not just the issue of homosexuality. It's almost everything where we go against God's word. Number one, well, the Bible just isn't relevant anymore. Oh, it's, it was written so long ago, it's just not relevant anymore. And we disregard all the authority of the Bible. And this happens in the church, guys. This is the biggest issue. 2 Timothy 3 says this, all scripture, not just the red letters, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. To choose Jesus is to choose his word. I wish I could dumb it down. You are looking at someone who likes to be liked. Confession. I would do crazy things as a child to be liked. I can see it in one of my boys, and I can recognize it as an older, more mature human being, hopefully grown out of those ways. And I remember my father pulling me aside saying, stop doing stupid things so they will like you. I'm going, I'm not doing it so they'll like you. But I was. And you're eating three OXO blocks without filtering them in water. And you're sticking your head in a white bucket of whitewash. And you're jumping over a two-story building, landing with your head on your own knees, knocking yourself out. Why? So that your mates would laugh. And yet, I've got a greater audience in my life. And as a preacher of the Word of God, I don't have a choice to make people feel good. Part of being a disciple was follow me and leave behind the cheers of the crowds. Follow me and understand you're going to be misunderstood. I grew up in a home where homosexuality was normal in our world. Not in my family, but in our world. My sisters were three actresses, professional actresses. I grew up in that world. I have many, many friends in that world. And I know some of them will encounter this podcast and they'll listen to these moments. And I know their friends of mine listen to that. But I cannot back down because I know on the other side of speaking truth in love, there is freedom that is not found in anything else. No other high of this world could even get close to the knowledge of God and the freedom that he brings. And there's this biggest issue. Well, love transcends doctrine because if you look at the Bible... God gave because of love. No, that's just bad Christianity. Here's a a, 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 a homosexual atheist writes this, challenging the church. He says, it is time 
that convinced Christians stopped trying to reconcile their spiritual beliefs with the modern age and understood that if one thing comes clearly through every account we have of Jesus' teaching, it is that his followers are not urged to accommodate themselves to their age, but to the mind of God. Christianity is not supposed to feel comfortable or feel natural. The mind of God contemplating the behavior of man is not expected to be suffused with a spirit of whatever. As it happens, I do not believe in the mind of God, but Christians do and must strive to know more of it. Nothing they read in the Christian in the Old and New Testaments gives a, a slither of support to the view that God of all Israel was an inclusive God or inclined to go with the view of human nature. What does that mean? You've got a man who doesn't believe what we believe saying, if you stand for anything, believe what you believe. Because if you don't, you stand for nothing. You don't get to choose Ephesians over James. I've been in Christian conferences where a preacher got up. He said, the book of James should not be in the Bible. I'm going, all authority that you had has been lost because I choose the authority of the word of God. And it's challenging, guys. And there are scriptures that I've hated. As a 17, 18, 19-year-old young, wanting to experience what all my mates were talking about, wanting to run into that world and saying, I want to throw it all away, and putting myself in situations where I could have done that, the only thing that brought me back is Jesus is greater. Sometimes it was the fear of my mother's prayers, if I'm being honest. But normally, it was the promise that is on the other side of walking with Jesus. He's good. He's a giver of good gifts. Tell your kids that. Tell your family that. Tell the world that. Shout it louder than anything. Because the world, is, the church has been known for shouting the wrong things. Number two, Jesus didn't specifically condemn homosexuality, so it must be approved. He, he, he didn't say anything. He was silent. He was also silent on bestiality. He was also silent on rape. He was also silent on a whole bunch of things that no one in the church is shouting for. And everyone's going, well, we won't go there. No. Actually, there is a line, and that's the line. Ryan spoke about the line. Well, we know what the line of the word is. It seems the church don't. Let me get to my next point. It's a different thing. So what they were talking about in the New Testament wasn't what is available to homosexual people now, which is monogamous, faithful, uh, not faithful, um, fulfilling, um, committed relationships. And that is available church. Please don't think we, we're living in the sexual revolution times and every homosexual is running around having a new relationship every weekend. It's not true. I've known men who've been in a relationship for 25 years, who've loved children, who've raised homes. Let's not talk about the merits of that. Let's talk about the reality that the argument that's being shouted is it's a different thing. No, in the, when the Bible speaks in the New Testament, so they're saying it's pedestry. It's a, it's a younger man and an older man. It's abusive. It's a sexually abusive relationship. No, the Bible lays out some things very clearly. It says, therefore, in Romans 1, God gave them over in their sexual desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who forever is praised. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged unnatural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. There's no mention of age or circumstance or situation. There's just male-female, male-male, female-female. God's design, Genesis 1, male and female, complementary in every way. Well, there's another argument that says, well, none of us are perfect, and who's it hurting? Who's it hurting? Well, if my kid's running down the road, 
and there's a bus coming and he's running into the road, I'm going to shout, stop. And he's not going to like it because I'm going to be inhibiting his fun. But he doesn't see the bus coming. And the other day he got out the car and I shouted and I grabbed him out the road because a car was coming and he didn't see it. And we too often think we're the parents. No, we're just the children. There's a father who's shouting, stop. There's a father who looks at the whole of creation and he shouts, mine. And it is hurting. It's hurting the church. All these confused identities and pastors going down roads where they're preaching stuff to, to grow. I, I think it's marketing sometimes. I'm just going to call it what it is. Because it's popular in the world, it'll grow your church. But I'm telling you, it'll bring chaos. And there is an identity of who God is that is so important that the church keeps presenting who God is. God is Trinity, perfect in every way. And when we allow that to be confused at that level, everything is at stake. We're going to be a little longer today, is that all right? Number five, and one of the biggest challenges is this. Yeah, but, but we overlook so many other sins in the church, Mark. Yeah, let's be honest. We don't deal with sins. We don't have the same strong perspectives. When we sit down, there's not the same fight in everything as it sometimes reveals its head in terms of homosexuality. And there's, that's why we are speaking about cohabitation, where I'm telling you there are a whole bunch of people in our church. We know, I know. And God calls us to preach his gospel. The gospel calls us to respond to his grace. And by the washing of his blood and trusting him for the extra 5%, there is freedom and healing. So what should be our response? See, as a church, we've really struggled for a way forward here. And we get this grace and truth. But how we steward grace and truth is our role. We don't get to choose the truth. We get to steward it. What do you do with the, the working colleague who's wrestling, the family member? It's my brother-in-law. It's my wife's brother. It was almost the same time that we came into full-time ministry that he entered into a world of homosexuality. That's quite some news for mom. Daughter's going into full-time ministry. Son's going into homosexuality. It's a big thing for a family. And there's occasions, family occasions. And then there was a wedding planned. And you've got to process stuff. What's your response? Well, we've got to have a response that brings a Jesus story. I, I want to answer this question because I know people are struggling with it in the room. Can someone struggle, like Ryan mentioned, with at times same-sex attraction and still be a believer? Me? 100% yes. The same way the guy who struggles with heterosexual pornography on the weekdays can be a believer. And he's trusting for the grace of God to bring freedom and life and break those chains in their life. The operating and the stepping into that space and making decisions to follow that unction is where you can't tell me no one gets tempted. No, the Bible says you will be tempted. It doesn't say you're going to be tempted heterosexually. It just says you will be tempted and you get to make a choice every day. I make a choice and you make a choice to choose Jesus and to trust him. And I'm telling you, the only choice isn't just marriage. I highly, highly value marriage. I love marriage, and I feel very privileged to be in marriage and get to express that. But I'm telling you, there is a, a journey of satisfaction in Jesus and fullness in Jesus. And I preached in a church of 5,000 people two weeks ago where the pastor is a 46-year-old single dude. And you're going to struggle to go to that church if marriage is the only way to really walk out the epitome of what it is to follow Jesus. 
See, our starting point has to be one of knowing the word of God, holding on to grace and truth, but walking in humility. Too many Christians are more interested in being right than being Christ-like. I want to be like Christ because he's always right. But my highest value is not being right. Does that make sense? Tim Keller puts it this way. He said, it is normal for human beings whose hearts are always seeking to justify themselves and who are always trying to make the case that they are one of the good guys to divide the world into the good and the bad. If, however, everyone is naturally alienated from God and therefore evil, then goes, then that goes for everyone from murders to ministers. The biblical teaching on sin shows us the complete pervasiveness of sin and the ultimate impossibility of dividing the world neatly into a sinful people and a good people. It eliminates our attitudes of superiority towards others and our practices of shunning or excluding those with whom we differ. See, there has been a superiority in this regard within the church. And I'm telling you, we will never fulfill the mandate of the call of God to impact this community. What does the harvest field look like to you? Are, are they white, black, suburban, middle-aged, comfortable, nice income? Or are they drug dealers, broken, bruised? Are they sleeping around? Are they young people looking for a north and saying, help me, Jesus? They, they're looking for a savior. And on the other side, will they encounter a pastor, a, 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 a friend of Jesus, who's willing to sit with them for hours? Oh, but I've got to get to the sheep. Or I'm going to sit with hours with a young man who's trying to convert me to believe that homosexual is okay, or I'm going to open up my heart to him. It's God who says something. Where do we start? Who is God and what is he like? There's a response, and it doesn't start with arrogance. Three points. We see Jesus presenting the Good Samaritan story and Jesus coming to die. It means that every Christian is duty-bound to love their neighbor. You don't get to choose what the neighbor looks like. Just telling you. It's the gospel. Secondly, the gospel of Christianity has nothing to do with our self-righteousness, but everything to do with grace. Which means this, the gospel takes away from us that feeling that I've done something and somehow I'm better, somehow I'm so superior. No, you're not so, ma'am. You're just someone who's received it and said, yes, that's all you did. It's all I did. And on the other side of, of, of people within a world, homosexuality world, there were just people who haven't received that grace. Because it's only by Jesus' blood. That we are set free. And lastly, the Bible shows and always starts with God created us. And then he shows us how we were designed to live. That's how the Bible teaches us from start to beginning, from the the narrative of the gospel. His word is a light not just to the right and wrong, but also to his design. We've got to go back to the word. You want to have an impact into this world now? Find yourself in the word. Find Jesus. Find who God is and walk that road. Find the, the clear and obvious path. If you're single, the clear and, and, and you're desiring, you say, God's, well, the clear and obvious path is God. Facilitate marriage in my life, but until you do that, I'm going to find my satisfaction and fullness in you. If you're married, don't squander what God has given you to experience in that, because that's sin too. By the way, according to the New Testament, it says, don't abstain for too long. And if you do, it's just for prayer. But husbands and wives, have great sex lives because a good God gave it to you. And I want to remind us, the scripture Gabe read last week, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life 
and have it to the full. God's given us life and life to the full. Let's find humility in Jesus so that we can impact the world. So that these testimonies that cannot just be honest are so few in number. And largely because no one would sit down and have a conversation. No one would sit down and have a meal. No one would love in truth. So what are we saying? No, homosexuality and the choice of that lifestyle is sin. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But there's a responsibility on the church to activate the grace of God that operates within our lives. To reach out because the harvest field don't look like Woolworth's chickens. Remember that story perfectly prepared and ready in every way for the gospel, just like low-hanging fruit. No, the harvest field need workers who will trust their king. The harvest field need workers who will remember the grace of God in our lives. And in response to this this morning, I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to take communion together. And can I ask, invite you to come and take of the emblems this morning as we remember his body and his blood. Will you stand and join us as we take communion? I'm going to hand over to Emmanuel. This is a, it's a big subject. I, uh, If you're older, you've got to realize that the young people amongst you and in your homes are living up in a, growing up in a world that's very different. Some of their best friends are going to make decisions that weren't even options or possibilities in your world. And yet now they are normal. From sexuality to finances to a whole bunch of things. And for the church to keep having an impact, God's got to keep gripping our hearts. We only drink of this blood, reminded of this blood and this body was broken because Jesus left the perfection of heaven and came to the brokenness of this world and died a death so that the worst decisions this world has ever seen, every decision that threw grace back in his face, Every decision that said, Jesus, you're not enough. I can't trust you. He died for them. And he died for me. And when I forget that, I've lost actually everything. I'll enter heaven one day and I'll spend eternity with Jesus, but I won't have impact on this side of eternity. And some of our young people, you're going to have conversations that some of the older folk never had to have. You're going to have to learn ways to love that that other generations didn't have to learn. You're going to have to navigate pathways and find the pathways of God into the places He's called you to minister with humility and love. And it's going to demand everything. And you're going to open up your heart to people who are going to make some really bad decisions. And they're going to wreck their lives. They're going to hurt people. And then God's going to come back to you the next morning and say, this is me 
Will you trust me again? He's going to ask you to open up your heart and your life to people again. And it's only by trusting this blood and this body that was broken that we will have any impact. It's only being reminded that it's only by his blood that we can stand today. So Jesus, today, we remember your blood and your body that was broken and beaten for us.